Amen. So, uh, having completed Deuteronomy, we now uh, enter the book of Joshua, and uh, just need to give a little bit of an introduction, and then uh, actually begin to examine the book. Um, there is uh, that uh, incorrect view of crossing the Jordan River, which we've discussed uh, a handful of times. Uh, you know, I say incorrect because I want it to be that clear in your mind, that it's incorrect to view it as going to heaven, as leaving this life and entering eternity. The Jordan River biblically does not symbolize that okay now if if you like the old spirituals and you think along those lines it's it's not you know somehow sacrilegious or you know blasphemous to think along those lines it's just that the the picture the scripture is giving us is something very different as the nation of israel crosses the jordan consider right they they are immediately entering into battles uh they are seeing the lord conquer their enemies they are having to uh, be further equipped for warfare, right? Uh, keeping in mind that they were slaves. And uh, the thing that we need to do the application in, because there is a physical battle that we are engaged in, but it, it is the spiritual realm that we are contending with. And, and that's where the scripture puts the entirety of the battle, even when it becomes physical things that you're having to deal with in this world it's the spiritual elements behind it that are that are causing and affecting those things so we'll examine spiritual warfare a little bit as we move forward but the imagery of Joshua here taking the nation of Israel crossing the Jordan River is that idea of being baptized in the spirit having the strength of the Holy Spirit to then enter into the battles uh, that the Lord has called each of us into individually and us as the church collectively, the things that we should be battling. And, um, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I get a very different experience, as I said many times, being up here looking at your faces. Um, you know, you're looking at one face. I'm looking at all of you and just the introduction this way there's an attentiveness uh, to all of your faces right now and I suspect that at least a contributing portion of that is you're seeing the battle in the world around you in a way that you know perhaps we've not seen or experienced in the past uh, you know this week the things that are going on inside England inside Canada uh, you know, massive changes, open letter written from a large collection of pastors to uh, the Canadian uh, leader telling him that he's facing God's judgment uh, for the things that he's doing. Remarkable times uh, that we're living in. Big, big changes, you know, Russia, Ukraine, that has a very big implication for the Middle East. Uh, the changes our government is making in particular regarding petroleum, which puts a great uh, burden on the Middle East. And I, and I mean that in a way that they appreciate, they, they want that business back in their realm. And in particular, 
Vladimir Putin uh, is in charge of the largest gas distribution system in the world. We helped build it all throughout Europe and uh, several years ago now the largest gas fields in the world, the Leviathan gas fields were found inside Israel where previously uh, they had not known natural resources in that way. So uh, a number of things happening in the physical world that are rooted in biblical precepts, prophecy, and uh, the end times uh, that we are presently experiencing. So move it back to the discussion of, of spiritual warfare, right? I, I hear a lot of Christians uh, talking about you know Christianity like it's a social club. Really, I mean, there's a big move in the modern church uh, to just be as close to being Starbucks as you can possibly create. You know, that, that's, that's really the goal is to, you know, just make it a, a social justice sort of setting uh, that you'd be socially minded. Uh, phrases, words uh, you'll hear, they're especially troubling to me as your pastor, right? Communal. That's a thing that bugs the stuffing out of me. You know, we're a communal church. Um, I hope not. You know, I hope that the community is not in love with you, right? Because if you're preaching the word of God, it's going to be abrasive to the community. It's going to be confrontational, right? Tell me the word of God was not abrasive and confrontational to you when you first surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, right? As it came to you and said, the way you're living needs to change. You know, the Lord, his ministers, the word of God, it might have said it in a very understanding, very loving, uh, very appealing way. But in the end, it was saying you're wrong and, and you need to change. You need to surrender yourself uh, to Christ. And there, there is this move to extract that message from the church, which is what England and Canada are doing, particularly in the last two weeks, outlawing the message. Outlawing it. You cannot say Jesus Christ is the only source of salvation from the pulpit in Canada or in England anymore. Done. Whole ministries have had to move outside. They kicked focus on the family out of Canada. Right? You can't, can't preach here anymore. You and your message and that Bible, pack your junk and get out. This is where we are. Right? How far away do you think that is for us? Right? Uh, you know, a long time, the uh, the elite, you know, uh, educated group within America has been trying to be as European as they possibly can be, trying to emulate the, the behavior and the characteristics of these progressive nations. Uh, so it's become, the, the spiritual battle that we're about to talk to has become a physical one. It's in your environment. It's affecting politics. It's affecting your environment and your living. So, to begin with that, uh, the scripture discusses this a lot. It's not mild. It's not a mild message. It's not a message that's somehow obscure, something that you can't find. Make note of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11, right? You should know this, where Paul says to the church at Ephesus, put on the whole armor of God 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Right. This is what we're called to do. Stand our ground. Do not move. Stay on right the rock that is Jesus Christ upon the word and to defend this. Paul, you know, telling us that we should be ready to give a defense to anyone that asks. We need to know what you know. As I've shared recently, your defense may be uh, different than somebody else's, as far as you know how complex or how simple it is. But you need to stand on Jesus Christ and know why and know how you stand on Jesus Christ. That you would be able to explain that uh, to someone when they confront you, when uh, you have to give an answer. Paul also speaking in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he begins at verse 4, says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not, they're not of the flesh. They're not worldly is what that means, right? Uh, carnal, carnivore, meat of the flesh is what Paul is saying. Our weapons are not carnal. They're not of human flesh. They're not of human reasoning. And keeping in mind, right, um, I, I totally appreciate apologetics. Uh, you know, if you've attended this church uh, for more than a couple of weeks, you know that I'm into the details, Okay, uh, but within that, uh, ours is not an argument of the intellect, right? The, the mind, the mind is of the flesh, okay? And what, what does it come down to? It comes down to spiritual things, right? You were a sinner condemned by that sin, destined for an eternity in hell. Jesus Christ, as God, became a man, and allowed himself to be sacrificed on your behalf. He took your punishment so that you don't have to experience that punishment. If you simply accept that he took your place in death, then you get his eternal life. Uh, how are you going to intellectually explain that to somebody? That's, that's all spiritual state, all spiritual existence. You have to, first of all, accept that you're a sinner who's in need of forgiveness and then you have to accept that Jesus Christ is God, and in his perfection, he substituted himself for you. Uh, that's a difficult thing for people to embrace on an intellectual level. You have to spiritually examine yourself in that. So, uh, it is an argument, and it is derived from the mind, but it's not one entirely of the intellect. So, it's not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, fortresses things that are firmly established. And he's going to say that they're firmly established in the mind. So as much as I said, it's not in the mind, right? It's about the thoughts that control the mind, but they are spiritual things, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Joshua is about to cross out of 
a dying process. Okay, they, they were in bondage, sin, Egypt is how that is you know, symbolized and was literal for them, freed from that through the baptism, right? And, and I just want to encourage any of us that have never been baptized, the scripture does command it. So, uh, you know, we have a baptismal and we bring it out here and fill it full of water and baptize people when they want to be baptized. So that's available upon request. But this image of being in, in bondage in Egypt as a slave, leaving freed by the symbol, symbol of Jesus delivering them through the Red Sea. Again, baptism according to the New Testament. Jesus' blood, the Red Sea, delivered out of that. Then what happens? Well, they don't believe and trust God for victory, right? They, I mean, 38 years, 40 years from Egypt to, you know, when they're finally going to cross over here in the book of Joshua. Uh, but it's an 11-day march, right, from the Red Sea to the Jordan River where they cross here as we begin the show. 11 days. 11 days takes them 40 years. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, a journey that should have taken you a couple weeks, you spend, you know, four decades having that ground out of your flesh. And, and, and that's what these... Guys have done. They they, they they left and they've now died the previous generation and the subsequent generation is come to the border and they're going to be asked to cross over. Why? Because of what they believed. The things they thought which caused them to act and behave in certain ways. They sent the spies in. The spies came back and said there are giants in the land. We'll never be able to conquer them. They're going to destroy us is what happens, right? You turn the pages and you come to Rahab, who's welcoming the spies and hiding them in her home here in just you know uh, a few chapters. And what, what do you see? She says, when you guys left out of Egypt, we knew we were defeated. I'm paraphrasing. 40 years we've been waiting for your arrival. We've been waiting for you to conquer us. The, the opportunity was yours, and they, they didn't accept it. Uh, taking every thought into captivity. Uh, the things you've read in the scripture, right? You're more than a conqueror. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Behold, I make all things new. The things that are in your mind. I, I've talked to people who you know have the mindset of, Something they believe which contradicts the scripture and they hold to the thing they believe and they nullify the word of God in the process. You know, I often harp on it's not a disease, right? It's alcoholism. It's drug addiction. It's choice. Okay. If, if you're holding on to a belief system that is anti-biblical, it will defeat you. In the process, they're convinced uh, we can't conquer, right? I'm always going to be an alcoholic. I'm always going to be a drug addict. No, not according to Christ, right? You know, you, you can't look and say, well, my family's always been this way, you know? My, my, my uncles and my father, my grandfather, they had a terrible temper. I have a terrible temper. 
So you're giving yourself permission to be defeated, right? Rather than trusting in the strength of Christ. Looking at a situation and taking a, a belief that doesn't come from the word of God and holding to it. A lot of what Joshua is going to be told here is, number one, you need to meditate on the word continuously, daily. It needs to never leave your mouth. You need to constantly be speaking it. And then you must be diligent to obey everything written in it. Uh, this is the conquering, right? The strongholds, you know, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, things that people say, arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Do you see how these things have risen up in your midst? And then once they're established, then they start to tower over Think for just a minute, right? Now you, you can't even say gender yeah. is natural and assigned by God. No, no. I mean, literally, right? Canada, again, as an example, ha has said legally to refer to gender as being assigned at birth by nature, by God, as male and female is a myth. Like, they're literally saying, like unicorns. While they simultaneously believe in unicorns. Right? They're believing the myth and saying that what we believe, which is true, is the myth. Uh, does that sound familiar to you? That they will say in the last days that that which is evil is good and that which is good is evil. They're going to swap it all around. You're watching it happen in front of your eyes. These are the strongholds that were long ago established. Have you guys seen, forgive me for just following a bunch of rabbit trails here, have you seen the expose that's being done on Hugh Hefner right now? Of how this man dominated and manipulated and used and abused women? All throughout his, and I'm not talking like in the way you just naturally think, right? As the head of Playboy magazine, this guy was torturing young women for his sexual gratification and allowing others to do the same. He's been looked at, and we use that word, oh, you know, he's, that guy's a real Playboy. And now we're discovering since he's passed away, right? Because he used his empire to keep that voice all of those women's voices silent. He's gone, and now they're stepping forward. Our culture, our culture has embraced this insanity. It has allowed these things to take root. It is torturing our sons and our daughters, our children and our grandchildren. It, it's time for the church to wake up and to rise up. Enough is enough. How long do we want to wallow? In this, there's a book I would recommend to you called The Marketing of Evil. Right? I would strongly encourage you get the book and you read the book and you research the things written in the book. There is a concerted effort to destroy America and its Christian origin. It, it isn't just sort of happening. No, there is an organized methodology to destroying. Uh, what, what was founded in this nation. We need to rise up against it. So 
bringing into obedience to Christ every thought, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Being ready to punish all disobedience, not just your own. This isn't just a self-application, right? This is the sort of thing where you and I need to become compliant to the point where we can look at others and say, and you also need to obey. We need to say to our employers, we need to say to our educators, we need to say to our government leaders, we need to say to our law enforcement officers, we need to say to our culture around us, you need to obey the Lord also. Oh, we're not going to have the power, right, in, in the physical realm to start enforcing this, right? The church is the conscience of our community. And what's happened is it's been silenced more than anything by the church itself. We've kept our mouths shut and our leaders have discouraged speaking out and involvement. We, we need to hear what the word of God is saying and we need to begin to conquer what is around us because it has taken over. It's taken over all around us. Mark chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, You're making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. The church is so actively engaged in embracing all of the false positions and the false teachings of the world and incorporating them into the church. Bringing these things in and making the church of no effect to our culture. I, I, another, you know, communal, missional, right? You know, because, you know, that sounds good, doesn't it, to be a missional church? But then when you go look at what the missional churches are, again, it's just about being accepted by the culture. Relevant. And you would think, right, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. We should become relevant. No, what they're saying is dumb down everything that's in the word of God until the world accepts it. You need to become relevant to the world. Look, the word of God has never stopped being relevant. Never. You, you can make the word of God irrelevant. You can make the church irrelevant by torturing it, by destroying it, by watering it down. It needs to be that we are what the church was intended by the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, from the New Living Translation, says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, right? Those are the ones that would go out and make uh, more churches and more leaders and more pastors and uh, you know raise up the church. The prophets, right, to speak forth the word of God and to foretell the things that are going uh, to take place. Evangelists, those that would go and lead people to Christ, that they would confess their sins, repent and become believers. Pastors and teachers, uh, which are one and the same, by the way, those aren't separate things. Uh, you can look at the Granville Sharp rule, the Greek language, that's one and the same, uh, pastor and teacher. <clears throat> Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is what the church needs to be doing, is, is equipping the saints 
and building up the body to do the work of Christ. That's what the church is about. I I, uh, started down here as a pastor, and uh, a man came to me. He was very upset, and uh, he told me that I was failing at my job as a pastor. And, uh, you know, I learned early on as a youth pastor that there's an ounce of truth in every pound of criticism. So listen when you're being criticized. So I listened very carefully. And uh, in the end, I asked this man, so what is it that you think I should be doing? And he said, well, you were supposed to be my best friend. And I I listened to him, and I asked him to explain that in detail. And um, because I was thinking maybe, you know, he was asking for a closer relationship, more of my time, things of those nature. And no, in the end, what he wanted me to do was just that, be his best friend. You know, just, just not no confrontation, no correction, no, just be the good old boy that's always there to you know, pat on the back and, you know, go again. That's that's not what a pastor is for, right? Pastor, again, class, the root word pasture can be heard in the term. It's the feeding. Uh, so overseer that feeds the flock is is what my job is. is, is to be here to lead by example and feed the word of God so that we will be healthy so so that what we're consuming creates health in us so this symbol of bondage and sin in Egypt that uh, Joshua is going to present to us it's important to understand as we move into the book of Joshua with this spiritual warfare mentality of conquest that the Lord has called us to do it's important to understand that both Joshua and his parents were slaves in Egypt so, so Joshua just doesn't come at this from an approach and a perspective of, I'm a warrior, I've always been a warrior, you should be a warrior like me. Okay, He, he comes at it from the perspective of, I, I was without hope, I was in bondage, my whole heritage was bondage, right, 400 years. Christ delivered me out of that. And they were slaves, right? There there wasn't like a secret group of slaves who met, uh, you know, to perform military training because they just knew someday they were going to be warriors. They were all of a subdued mindset. Every one of them had the mentality of keep your mouth shut and obey. You can, you can guarantee Joshua's father, at least, maybe Joshua himself, five-ish years old when all of this kicks off, but uh, when he was a boy, you can pretty much guarantee his dad came home with lashes on his back. And they were encouraged, do not oppose, do not fight back. That only leads to greater problems, right? You stand up, you rise up. You get lashed, and anyone around you that even looks like they're approving of you is going to get lashed also. They were unbelievably cruel. That's the mentality of of subdued that they grew up under. And he said to learn the process. 
of becoming a warrior. One who originally, right, was put in the most vulnerable situation. He put him at the back of the pack so that as the nation of Israel begins to move and follow the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, right? There's Dan all the way in the rear, the tribe, you know, picking up all everybody's belongings that they've dropped and left behind. You know, they're, they're sort of the cleanup crew and also all the stragglers, right? Not everybody's going to be able to move at the same pace. And there's going to be that group that as the healthy and the strong are moving, right? The weak and the frail and the young and the old are drifting to the back. The entirety is moving on and those that are incapable. And so where do the enemies begin to attack? At the rear. And Joshua has to start learning under Moses' tutelage of you're going to guard the rear flank. You're going to stay where the weakness is. Do, do you see the spiritual picture? And what the Lord is encouraging us to do, right? Because if, if you're thinking like, well, I haven't been very victorious. I've been kind of weak. I've been kind of defeated. How do I become victorious? Well, you're just amongst the ranks of those who are getting throttled. And it's time to get strong. And it's time to rise up. And it's time to defend. That's actually where the warrior mentality is learned, it is amongst those that are getting attacked, right? right? So in the process, he becomes this leader. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Listen, the Lord gives it to them. This, this is not a message. This is not a mentality of you can do it. You know, this isn't, this isn't you can be better. This isn't, you know, Tony Robbins, some kind of, you know, self-help encouragement message this is message meet you where you are and say christ can have victory in you and through you he can accomplish these things right but it does take subduing the thought process subduing the mind and making it obedient to christ you you have to let christ have his will and have his way as long as we're thinking like the world, which can include, right? You don't even need any outside influences. Have you learned that about yourself, right? You don't need devils pestering you. You don't, you don't need to have some wicked influence in your life whispering in your ear. You alone are bad enough. Your own thought process will diminish you. Let Christ conquer your thoughts. Read his word, understand what it's saying, and find yourself being obedient to it. That's how victory comes in the process. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. You know what's tragic is they never learned that. They never learned that. That everywhere you go, you're 
the conqueror in that setting. They allowed sin to compromise them. They allowed doubt to compromise them. They, they ended up being defeated many, many times because they did not learn that they were the ones that were there to have victory in every one of those settings. Right? The, the pushback comes and they fade right off. The persistence of staying and sticking is something that we need to learn. Here, these people have to come to that realization. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, that's the Mediterranean, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you will divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I made the promise. I'm going to fulfill the promise. Now, the territory that was just marked out by the Lord, they never conquered. From the Euphrates River all the way to the Med, Lebanon, all the way to the wilderness in the south, <clears throat> they never conquered that entire territory. But it belongs to them. I say that because right now, all of these discussions about, oh, well, this territory, that territory, Golan Heights, Gaza Strip, yada, yada, yada. That was my Yiddish for this morning. So <clears throat> in that discussion, it all belongs to them. It's been given to them by God, right? From ancient times, given to them. The Palestinians aren't a real people. That's not real, right? That was created by the Romans. Uh, the, their perennial enemy was the Philistines. So when they conquered Israel and kicked them out of the land, they renamed the land after their enemies, and said, you know, Philistia, Palestine, the Philistines, this, this whole land is now called Palestine. It's, it's very discouraging to me to read biblical commentators today referring to Israel as Palestine. Get over that. This land is Israel's. It belongs to, it doesn't even belong to them. I was about to say, it belongs to God. And God has given it to them. The conflicts that are going on, they're going to have to learn this along the way. Where the politics need to go out the window, right? Because, because all of their enemies, there is no negotiating. Oh, this whole thing of, well, what we really need is a two-state solution. You know how many times they've tried that? You know why it doesn't work? Because Palestine doesn't want two states, right? They, they only want one. They, they want to annihilate the nation of Israel. That's it. That's it. Genocide is what they are looking for. They are unnegotiable. The Arab and Muslim nations, and I do mean Arab and Muslim nations around them, want to destroy them. God says this is your land. Again, this is one of those things that is a stronghold in a lot of people's minds. Even within the church. To the point that now we have to deal and contend with what is often referred to as, you know, kingdom theology. 
where God somehow replaced Israel and the church is the kingdom that he's referring to and all those promises in the scripture pertain to Christianity, not to Israel. There are so many problems with that you can't even imagine. Israel is who God gave this land to and promised to, and he's going to fulfill all of these things. We're going to witness them and see them take place. Notice that he has to say to Joshua, verse 6, and repeatedly here, be strong and courageous. Look, have you ever met someone who's very brave, very strong, very courageous? Do you have to tell them to be strong and courageous? Right? You usually have to tell a person who's weak and cowardly to be strong and courageous. It takes reassurance. We often think of Joshua as a man who's very confident and has a great deal of prowess. I, I don't see that in this situation. Right? Damien Kyle, if you haven't listened to him, is a great Calvary Chapel pastor, and there's so much you can learn from Damien. It's, it's wild, uh, the degree to which the Lord has anointed him and works through him. I heard him say a number of years ago, um, being cool is exactly like being six foot six. You either are or you're not. Okay. You can pretend to be tall all you want to. If you're not, you're not. Right. You can pretend to be cool. all You, you can pretend to be strong and courageous. If you're not, you're not. Right. Your weakness will usually be plainly seen morally, physically, emotionally, plainly seen, usually. But even if you fake the courage, right, throw you into the situation that requires courage, and then it will become obvious. This man has to be encouraged. I say that to us this morning to encourage all of us. Right. If you're reading this thinking, well, you know, there are guys out there like Joshua. They're strong. They're great. That's not me. I don't think Joshua was particularly strong and courageous. I think that he had to be continuously encouraged to be so. To follow the Lord and do the things that he needed to do. So as you face the challenges... At least understand this, right? The Holy Spirit recorded it here in the scripture that it was a needed encouragement. Whether Joshua needed it or not, I think he did. But even if he didn't, it's recorded for us that we need to take the command of the scripture and be strong and courageous. Look at, you know, be strong and very courageous, as it says in verse 7, that you may observe to do. Notice that. I underlined that. In my text, observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Listen, I'm politically minded and I preach from a political position very often. It offends some people and I apologize for that. I just think that we need to be people of action in the environment that we are in, okay? But as I talk to certain people and they'll say, okay, I get what you're saying, left wing, a lot of it's 
evil, you know, you got abortion, you got all these different issues, right? But, you know, look at the corruption of the right wing. And look, I can't deny that. Okay? I can't. And so I take the encouragement right here from the scripture. I know I'm stretching it a little bit here, but don't turn to the right hand or the left. Because there's something more true. There's something more true than right-wing politics or left-wing politics. And it's the truth of God's word. And that's what we need to hold to. Right? Now I'll say that a lot of the time, what is right-wing, a lot of the time, is much more aligned with Christianity than left-wing. But there's also a need for us to have a socially minded faith that wants to care for the poor and the needy and the weak, right? But you also got to use wisdom in that because, because it's not going to help people to make them slaves of welfare. And I do mean slaves. They, they need to be delivered from that. So I'm not going to go any further with that discussion other than to say we need to keep ourselves fixed on God's word, focused upon him, not turning to the right hand or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Now listen, don't think of this as materialistically or financially. Okay? That may be part of it, but it may not be part of it. Paul tells Timothy, right, that Timothy needs to understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. There's a mindset in our culture that says, if I just can get wealthy enough, just can get prosperous enough, then I'll be content. And without even saying it, very often the thought process is, I will get wealthy, then I'll be content, and then I can concentrate on being godly. So the focus becomes prosperous. Paul tells Timothy, no, no, your focus needs to be exactly the opposite. Your focus needs to be above anything else, godliness. Which produces a contentment. Which is, it doesn't produce prosperity, it is is the prosperity, right? Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. The All of these things the disciples were asking about, that were they were worried about, were right? food, clothing, shelter, family, right? Well, what about these things? We've left all to follow you. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You make the Lord your priority, you won't miss on anything else. You aim at anything else, and you're going to miss everything else, including the Lord. You've got to aim your life at Jesus Christ. So this concept in the very beginning of verse 7, observe to do, we lack for the doing, you guys. That we lack for the doing. We, we don't need to know any more than we already do. Right? People often will say that to me. Like, uh, do you ever do book studies? Yes, we do. Genesis. 
and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings and 2 Kings and Chronicles, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nehemiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. We do them all. All of them. No, I was more thinking, like, do you, do you ever do, like, you know, Dr. So-and-so bestseller, whatnot? No. No. Because what is needed is in the Scripture. What is needed in the Scripture? I encourage you to be a reader. There's an old cliche. Leaders are readers. Okay? You need to be a reader. And you do need to read those things. But that all needs to be absorbed through the filter of the Scripture. God's word is what you need to become expert in. Okay? It isn't, it isn't that we need, like, somebody's what? Going to come along and write a book that contains truth that the church hasn't known all this time? The truth that they discover is in God's word, you guys. And that's where we need to absorb ourselves, is in God's word. What we lack is the doing. What about, have you ever thought about doing a marriage seminar? Yes, we did. <laughs> and we studied Galatians and Ephesians, and we also looked at the book of Song of Solomon, and we, yes, marriage, right? We're into it. Way into it. Strongly encourage it for most people. <laughs> you know, some might need to wait a little longer. Because it's about being a servant to other people. Right, where do we find all these things? In God's word. In God's word. It's the doing that is lacking, not the knowing. What is needed to be known is in God's word. Right. Be careful that you may observe to do according to all the law, all the word which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do everything written in it. Verse 8, the book of the law, the Bible, the word, shall not depart from your mouth. Meaning, you should constantly be quoting the scripture. The word of God should be coming out of your mouth continuously. That's what, that's what should be in your mouth. When you open your mouth, it should be the word of God that comes out. Let, let it be that you are constantly there. But you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Meditation, again, right? You guys know where I'm headed, right? You've been in these uh, classes long enough. Uh, the, the, the word meditation is ruminate. That's the root word, which is where we also get the word, uh, the phrase, to chew the cud, okay? Uh, God tells us that as far as the Levitical law is concerned, the animals that can be eaten are the ruminating ungulates, right? Those that chew the cud and have the split hoof. Uh, the chewing of the cud, you would take it in, completely digest it and absorb it, and then bring it back up to chew it all over again and redigest it to bring it back up. The word of God. Okay, my methodology, methodology in discipleship is to encourage people to start in the book of Proverbs. You don't have a devotional life, right? 
we also encourage people to get involved with the one-year Bible, so you're reading through the Bible in a year. But to develop the habit of daily being in the Word, begin in the book of Proverbs. It's divided into 31 chapters, and just read a chapter a day. You miss a day, don't worry about it. Do the next day. Today is the 20th. Get up in the morning, read Proverbs chapter 20. Right? There's 31 days at worst in a month at best. At best, did I say how to take it any way you want to, right? At worst. For the year of 2000, it was the worst. But anyway, just if you right get up and on the first, read Proverbs chapter 1. The second, Proverbs chapter 2. And, and my encouragement when people are just starting out is don't try to be deep. Right? That, that can bog you down. Just read the whole chapter. What stands out to you? Is it the whole chapter? It, it, was it a few verses? Was it a section of verses? Whatever stands out to you, cling to that. That morning as you read it, cling to it. Digest it completely. Take it in. As you're getting ready, drinking your coffee, you know, doing your morning routine, go back. Read those few verses a few times so you're thoroughly digesting it. When you take your lunch break, stop, get your Bible out, and just go to that section. Whatever really ministered to you. If it's the whole chapter, you're going to discover it's not hard to read one chapter of Proverbs. Right? A few minutes. If it's a few verses, let your mind, and, you'll, and immediately you'll be, you'll be struck with, I had forgotten, it's just been a couple hours, and I had forgotten these points. And you read them, and they minister to you. Before you go to bed, do it again. Open the book up, read a few verses, take them in fully, right? Do you see what I'm saying about fully digest? Bring it back up. Fully digest. Bring it back up. Ruminate. Meditate on the Word of God. You'll, you'll be surprised how quickly this develops a habit of, I have to be in the word daily. You miss one day, you're going to feel way out of sorts. You skip one occasion in a day, and things aren't going to seem right to you. You're going to be struggling to remember and bring it back up. And, and immediately, it's going to be that insistence of tomorrow, I can't do that. I'm going to be on top of my game with this. Meditate in it. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is a remarkable thing, right? Because Joshua was present as one of the spies in Numbers chapter 13 as they come back and everybody is afraid. And Joshua then has to painfully watch as that fear ensnares an entire nation and they have to leave from that potential victorious moment and just go through a 40-year process of dying. This man comes to this moment again and says, no way. We sent 12 spies over. Last time, two came back with a good report. He literally goes through the crowd and says, who can come back here with a good report? Good. You two guys. That's who we're sending. Two guys that guarantee before they leave, we will come back with a good report. Good. Be on your way. <laughs> He's not going to allow the defeat in his life, in his heart, in his mind, in the nation. They have to take care of that. He remembers 
what he has learned, right? You go back to Exodus chapter 17, looking at verses 12 and 13. Moses' hands became weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Joshua has this in remembrance. Right? Joshua has this, this slave has learned we can be victorious in war. Right? You criminals and drug addicts and school teachers can conquer. You can conquer on behalf of your king in your own life, in your community, in your environment. We're going to have to rise up and wield the sword. They're going to have to act upon that as they move forward, right? There will be battles of faith for them, just like there will be battles of faith for you. What must it have been like to have been a prepared soldier and hear how we're going to conquer Jericho is we're going to walk around a whole bunch of times, and then we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to shout. That's your battle plan? <laughs> have you heard similar plans? And thought, no, not happening. No? No? Have you been called to pray and fast as elections approached? And thought, nah, that won't do anything. Consider, right? Consider those things that we sometimes think of as non-effectual. I mean, what is marching in a circle and blowing a trumpet going to do, really? Worshiping God? I mean, come on. Worshiping God? They've told us not to. They've told us not to go to church. Right? What is it going to do to march over to the church and sing songs? You know, probably get us in trouble. Right? Walk around the walls. They probably throw rocks at us. <laughs> it brought down the entire city. All the walls of Jericho, if you're not familiar with it, fell outward. Fell outward. Not from a biblical right, confirmation, from an archaeological confirmation. Walls that were built right, on a tapered structure leaning inwards so that they were compressing in upon themselves. Impossible to even pull them down, let alone that they would fall down on their own. They all fell outward. All of them. The walls fell outward. They all fell at the same time. Right? The, the archaeological digs have found, right, uh, embedded underneath all of those stones the same vegetation in the same time of year at the same moment in history buried underneath those rocks. The walls of Jericho fell outward all at the same time. That never happens. Never happens. It happened in that case. How? The people marched around, shouted, blew their trumpets. Make sure the next time you're asked or encouraged to be involved in something that seems, you know, merely an exercise of spiritual conduct, 
that you take captive any doubting thoughts and maybe even participate in the marching around and the shouting and the singing and the blowing of the trumpets. It's interesting how these battles of faith work out sometimes. Verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. That's a new commandment. Prepare food. Right? Never had to do that before. Many of these people have never had to do that. Why? Manna falls from the sky every day. We just go pick it up and eat it. Now you got to prepare food, right? Do you remember when you first came to the Lord and every time you turned around, God seemed to like pop up provision for you? And then when you had to actually get up when the alarm clock went off and go to work, there was a whole new conquering of yourself that had to happen. (laughs) And you were... Years later, maybe even discouraged, thinking like, why couldn't it be like the early days? Because we have to grow up. We have to go conquer territory and see the Lord's will done. Go prepare yourselves provisions, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Crossing the Jordan, they're going to cross at flood stage Right. If you've ever been to Israel, uh, the uh, Jordan River is not very intimidating nowadays. You know, it's a, a muddy brook that at times is maybe 15 feet wide. Historically, in the past, it was an intimidating, raging torrent at springtime in the flood season. You're not going to walk up to that river and just cross. It's very, very dangerous. You prepare yourself. We're going to cross the Jordan in three days. They're hearing that. They're looking at the Jordan and thinking, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The people that are most concerned about this, I guarantee you, are the priests. Because when it comes time, they're going to pick up the Ark of the Covenant. The lid alone weighs 700 pounds. Yes, it's made of wood, But it's all overlaid with gold, one of the densest materials man can accommodate. And the the lid is solid gold. Okay? That is not a flotation device. Rivers at flood stage. Prepare yourself. You're about to walk into the Jordan. Spiritual leadership is intimidating at times. Verse 12, to the Reubenites, the Gadites, Half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which the Lord, or excuse me, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock will remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. They were herdsmen, sheep and cattle. And when they came to the territory on the eastern side, of the Jordan River, they recognized that it was good pasture land, 
and they did not want to cross the Jordan River to enter into the promised land with the rest of the nation of Israel. God and Moses were very angry with them, but God allowed for that to take place. And we had a lengthy study about how their compromise of not crossing the Jordan and taking their possession inside the land with the rest of the nation of Israel ended up costing them very dearly. But in the process, this agreement was struck that you can have this side, this land, but when it comes to conquering the land of Israel, you're going to cross over and help your brethren to do that. And they agree here to fulfill the promise they made to the Lord. Verse 16. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. So this whole process, you guys, hinges on the moment where they're going to cross over and send the spies in. And it's interesting to me because inside the city of Jericho, there's a woman, as we mentioned previously, Rahab the harlot. Her heart has to be ready to receive the spies into her house to inform them of the circumstances to hide them and then to help them escape to return to Joshua. God seemingly has incorporated her into his timing. Sometimes God is waiting on the least likely person. You look around and think that God is going to raise up a Billy Graham. And instead, he takes a woman who's a prostitute and uses her to accomplish his will. It's an interesting thing. We measure according to human standards sometimes. God doesn't measure that way. Uh, she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. You're going to read the commentators, and that's so offensive to our mindset that people want to change it. Oh, no, she was just an innkeeper. She wasn't actually a woman. No, no, yeah, she was an innkeeper, right, who kept the house of prostitutes. Do you understand? She was a madam. She herself was a prostitute. She repented of her sin. She submitted herself to the will of the Lord and obeyed. This is so offensive to our mind as Christians that we want it to be something other than that. Christ uses who he wants to. What's so interesting, right? Rahab ends up being in the lineage of Jesus Christ. The Messiah comes through this family line. It's so remarkable. So remarkable the way the Lord does his work. I, I point that out. It is a little bit of a deviation, but I point it out because if you're sitting here this morning thinking, right, God's going to use somebody very courageous, very strong. Maybe the one he's been waiting for is you. Maybe the one that he's looking to is us. Let's make sure that 
whatever the Lord is calling us to, right? We're very strong, very courageous, and that we are obedient to do all that the Lord tells us. Amen? Amen. So there's your introduction in Joshua chapter 1. It's the time we have for this week. So we'll pick up with Joshua chapter 2 next week. Will you stand and we'll pray? Call to action, very, very needed in our society today. It's a spiritual war. Spiritual people are going to win that war. That means we have to be submitted. Father, help us to be strong and courageous, to continuously be men and women of your word, that we would hear your voice, that we would understand your leading, and that we would obey what you're calling each of us to individually. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.